0: 2 Kings 23, look in verse number 1 where it says, "Um, Judah, excuse me, then the king sent and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great, And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for, and these are false gods, Baal, Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. Josiah burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests who the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, or Baal, that's how we say it down here in the south, to the sun and to the moon and the constellations and all the host of heaven. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the Brook Kidron and burned it at the Brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes, watch this, who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought out all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priest had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left and at the gate of the city. Okay, lots of words in just eight verses, but it moves like a freight train. This is what reformation looks like. It happens frequently. If you look at the history of the church and you go even back further to the history of God's covenant people Israel, you find these patterns in the followers of God. What is it? God will bring people to brokenness. Those people will call out to him. He will save them. They will enter into covenant with him and he will bless them. And the more he blesses them, the more they take the blessings for granted and they start living for the blessings and they end up turning their backs on God. And so God starts the cycle again. He breaks them. They call out to God. He delivers them. He begins to bless them because they're now obedient again. And the cycle goes on and on. And what we find in scripture is that it is not uncommon for people who are blessed of God to forget God, to, in the essence, to walk away from God, to turn their backs on God, to take God for granted, or to end up trafficking in a religion that is attached to God, but not having any intimacy with God. And so what God does is he brings about, he'll raise up a reformer. He'll put it in the heart of sometimes one person in the midst of a people group, and that one person will be anointed of God with eyes to see and will say, what I am seeing is unfit for the glory of my awesome God, and I know he's calling me to do something about it. By the way, I'll just go out on a limb here. Some of you have that spirit. Some of you will be or currently are raised up in this generation to shatter the status quo mentality that exists in the American church. And I hope that you'll continue to answer that call because I believe we're gonna see that call galvanize the church of Jesus Christ before he returns. And I believe great revival is gonna come through um, continual reformation of the church. But to stick to the text tonight, we've got a 26-year-old king, 26, and he is ruling God's people. And he is saying, I've just been pardoned by God my nation is going to experience chastisement but since I am a man so blessed with grace who's just been pardoned uh, for my brokenness uh, by God I am going to actually up my commitment to the Lord he just got a free pass he just got promised by God in the chapter before that he would not see death or judgment and instead of getting lazy instead of kicking his feet back in the palace and just just cruising until the end of his days, he says, oh my goodness, I am so blessed. I've just got to keep doing what I've been doing and I've got to elevate it even more. And so this is where we see Israel go through the beginning stages of what I'm calling a deep cleanse. It's exactly what the church needs today. So let's learn from what we see in Josiah's example and let's see if we can't maybe get that stirring in us that we could be the people and this can be the generation that says no to all of the substitutes that pass for intimacy with God or service unto God or glory unto God. Let's see if we can't just sense the stirring of the Holy Spirit moving among us so that we might have that same kind of ministry as Josiah. So look with me back up in verses one through three and let's just start there with Josiah's clear commitment to a new direction. We're going to see a clear commitment to a new direction here. And the first thing he did is he established unity among the people. Look in verses 1 and 2. It says that Josiah sent, and look who he gathers, all of the elders of Judah. So he got all of the leaders, all of the social leaders, all the civic leaders uh, of Judah and Jerusalem. They gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem The priests, the prophets, the people, small and great. So I want you to get the picture in your mind. Josiah is a man on a mission. He happens to have all of the authority in the land. So when the king says to be somewhere, you're going to show up. So he summons all of the leaders, all of those that held positions of influence and leadership. And he says, I want you to come up to the house of the Lord. He goes out and sends word out into the the highways. He says, I want you all, all the priests in Judah, all any prophets in Judah, I want you to come to the house of the Lord. And then he sends word into the, the common man into Jerusalem. And he says, I want all the people that are in Jerusalem, small and great, I want you to gather in proximity to the house of the Lord, to the temple. So he's calling a meeting. He knows what he's about to do but he knows what needs to happen in Jerusalem cannot simply happen just through one man he's got to galvanize the people around this time of reformation so he brings them all in now go down to the end of verse number two and this is what I love I like to watch decisive leadership Josiah throws down an anchor at the end of verse two look what he does he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord So Josiah knows how his heart reacted just the short time before when he first heard the word of God that he had never heard in his life. He had never heard anybody read the written word of God. He knows how it penetrated his heart, how convicted he was over the sins of his nation. So he gathers all of the people there and he does the one thing that establishes the authority in the land. What is the authority in the land? It's God's word. It is the truth of God's word. My friends, I'll just go ahead and say this. It still is. The objective written revelation of God is the Bible. We have what God wants us to know about him in written form in the Bible. It is still authoritative. It is still liberating. It is still alive. It is still convicting. It's a double-edged sword that can separate between soul and spirit. This book... Whether you have it in a tablet, electronic form, whether you have it leather bound, whether you have it memorized, this book is alive and it has all of the authority of God. One of the things that must happen to a people that are going to turn potentially an entire nation back to God is we have to be people of a, both edges of the sword. What is it? We have to be people of the written word and we have to be people of the Holy Spirit. So long, and that is one of the foundations of New Bridge Church, the bridge, bridging the Word and the Spirit, because so long in our churches, we've had to choose, well, I go to a Spirit-filled church, and they don't really use the Bible, but man, the Holy Spirit really rocks and rolls on Sunday. And then you've got, well, we're a Word church, and we don't want any of that kind of, that kind of animation and that kind of nonsense and that kind of loudness and hoopla, because we're people of the Word, and, and you've had to choose between the strength of the Word and the liberating power of the Holy Spirit, but no longer. Why? Because if you go back to the book of Acts in the organic form of the church, what did they have? They had apostolic doctrine that would become our Bibles. They had the Word and they had the Spirit. And so when Reformation is going to continue, you've got to have the green light of the Spirit, the power and the movement, but you got to have the guardrails of the Word that keep you moving in the direction you should. Josiah brought them back to a place where they all heard the Word, most of them, for the first time In their lives. That's the anchor that he threw down. So go down into verse number three. And in case there were people that didn't know what Josiah was doing there that day at the temple, he removed all possibility of doubt. Read verse three. It says, the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes, watch this, with all his heart and all his soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book and then the bible adds the footnote all the people joined in the covenant i want you to just use your sanctified imagination we just travel back in time to that day where josiah is there we're looking at our 26 year old king and he's got fire in his eyes his jaw is set He is not wishy-washy. He doesn't have his hands stuffed in his robes and shrugging his shoulders and shuffling his feet. He is just stiff as a board. And he is saying, as he, as he reads the king reading the word of God before all the people. And then when he closes, he rolls up the scroll, he makes a public covenant for himself. Watch this. He is not mandating a covenant. That's not the way that reads. He is saying before all the people, I enter into a covenant with Yahweh. It was personal it was intentional it was decisive and notice the description of the covenant i am going to do with all of my heart and all of my soul i'm going to do everything that is written in the law written in this covenant i am going to obey the lord and that obedience is not going to be that of a slave but that of a son and i will do it with all of my heart and all of my soul something happened in that moment Because the crowd that was there watched him. You don't find anywhere in there him saying, and do y'all want to get in on this? He doesn't ask. The people affirm what they heard. They, They saw a leader. They recognized that something was happening. They see a leader with a determination that he's going to personally consecrate himself back to the forgotten God of Israel. And something began to stir in their hearts and they got reconnected to that inner want to. It's amazing thing that happens friends let me tell you something about reformation and revival there is within i'm gonna say all believers if a truly born-again believer is 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 living right now there's something within her something within him that really wants god's best They want to see God glorified. They want to see the power of God. They want to see the blessing of God. They want to experience the holiness of God. They want to see the miracles of God. They want to honor the word of God. There's something within them. But because we can live so long in a culture or in a church setting that is dormant and hibernated and status quo and humdrum and getting by and it's all artificial and external and superficial... People that are entrenched in that kind of expression of the kingdom, they just kind of, they kind of assimilate into it. They kind of lower the bar. They, 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 there's that light that is burning in them when they first got saved, and eventually they realize, oh, nobody else feels like this. I guess, I guess I need to acclimate to them, so they just kind of get in the soup. And it's like Goldilocks porridge. It's just kind of lukewarm when a reformer steps up when God raises somebody up in a generation and it's amazing to me don't get mad if you've got the silver hair I've got the empty hair back here so I'm kind of migrating that way but it, it it often seems to be a young person it often seems to be somebody young who has not given in who has not given up who has not acquiesced to the the room temperature climate among the people of God. And that young person will stand up, and Josiah was 26, and he just galvanizes this whole nation to the extent that all of the priests, all of the prophets, all of the leaders, the elders, and all of the people said, we're going to make a covenant with Yahweh too. You know, it occurred to me while I was reading this, those priests and those prophets and those leaders They had been there the whole time. Prophets, spokesmen for God. They had been there. The priests who represent the people to God and stand in between, they had been there. But none of them were motivated to bring restoration and revival to Israel until one young man stood up and said, in the name of the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I enter into a covenant because he is worthy of our loyalty and obedience. And those prophets and priests, what I was talking about earlier, what was in them that had grown dormant came alive it started to pulse again within them. They started getting reconnected to who they were in the kingdom. And Josiah, all Josiah is trying to do is say, God is worthy, God is worthy, God is worthy. And when that message started going out again, the other people started coming alive. I believe if you and I will live that and risk it, that we'll, we'll be willing to be maybe the, the radical, the weirdo at work, now, be careful how you do weirdo, okay? Weirdo can be done in an inappropriate way, but if the people think you're weird and all you're doing is just being sold out, listen, don't run away from that. You know, we're salt, we're light, and, and, and those, those things are, are enhancers of atmosphere and taste. And so when we look at what was going on there, Josiah in just a singular meeting has literally gotten the commitment Of his heart to reach the throne and when all of the people saw it they gave their commitments too now here's what i want to get to because this is where the action starts taking place up to this point it's all verbal it's all intentional but we haven't really seen anything happen on the other side of this covenant yet but we're about to and as a matter of fact the rest of the messages in the series are going to focus on what josiah and israel do in order to validate their recommitment under the lord So let's go down into verses number four and five, because Reformation sounds really, you know, just super cool. It sounds, oh, yeah, man, give me some of that. I like that. You know, you can hear the theme music in the background and the glory of Reformation and all of that. But let me tell you, Reformation work begins in the trenches, and it is hard, and it is ugly, and Josiah did not care. Watch what he does, and let's be motivated by his example. So let's look at the harsh reality of all reformation. It begins with this, rectifying the wrongs of the past. You have to deal with the past in reformation. Look what Josiah does. The king commanded, Josiah commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order, that's just your second tier of priests, and the keepers of the threshold, that's a different form of priestly work, to bring out of the temple, To bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. Now, let me just give you a little bit here. If you're new to your Bible or you're not familiar with Old Testament Israel history, Baal is the Canaanite pagan demonic God. Asherah is just another form of the same thing. Literally, in the Canaanite religion, Asherah was seen sometimes as the sister of Baal, sometimes as the wife of Baal, sometimes both. And so it's all demonic. These are not obviously real deities, but they are demonically originated, demonically sourced, and demonically empowered. And notice this, the worship of these pagan deities was happening in the temple of God. In Solomon's temple, the beautiful temple where the glory cloud once moved in and knocked everybody out and the priest couldn't minister. It was that temple, the temple that was built for the glory of Yahweh had in 57 years of terrible leadership become a place where you could go and worship the very enemy gods of Israel. That's what happens when a generation loses the word. When you lose the word, you lose your spiritual bearings. And what happens is when you lose the guardrails and the directional compass of God's word, inevitably, if a people group loses that for a certain amount of time, they will end up chasing their own gods. They will go their own way. They will cultivate gods that suit them. Now, we live in a sophisticated society we don't, we don't set up or erect temples and, and fill them with all sorts of props and all this stuff that they were doing. We just drive our gods or live in our gods or you know, uh, wear our gods or, or cosmeticize our gods to enhance our gods. And, and we do all sorts of things. We've got all sorts of different gods that we worship in this world. And it can happen to any group that loses their bearings off of the word of God and away from the spirit of God. Maybe you don't get the vibe of what was going on. Let me ask you how you would have felt tonight if you walked in the doors of this auditorium, this sanctuary. And right over here, we just had a little Hindu altar. Just a little Hindu altar. And over here, we had um, a a six-and-a-half-foot bronze statue of the Buddha. And we had incense Flowing up, and then right in the middle, we had an Islamic prayer rug. How would, that, how, would, how would you feel about that? What would that do to you internally, spiritually? Well, let me tell you, and I, I don't mean to be offensive if, if, if people are here and you're visiting, you're exploring Christianity, and those, that happens to be your background, but let me just be very clear. Um, Christianity is an exclusive faith. It, it, it does not incorporate all other belief systems. I'm sorry, but if we're being honest, neither does Islam. I remember one time I was on the radio with Neil Bortz, and I was saying something. I, I don't know how I got on the show. And I mentioned that we had uh, missionaries in the Middle East at that time. And he got so mad at me. He said, what are you Christians always sending missionaries over there to, to, to go over there and proselyte those people? And man, God was so good because I was kind of afraid because it's his radio show and all of a sudden I thought we were going to have a nice conversation. But I remember telling him, I said, Mr. Bortz, I said, if you ask any Muslim whether they think Christians are going to enter into paradise, they're going to tell you the same answer. No, their religion is exclusive. So is Christianity. Both of us can't be right. And so it is the call upon the Christian to advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ and his saving blood and his eternal resurrection and his soon return. And uh, I didn't have much longer on the phone with him that day. So my, my point being is this. I don't want to be offensive, but I do want to be clear. I don't have to be offensive, but the gospel is offensive to the flesh because what it says is no man comes unto the Father except through Jesus. so we know in our hearts that we would never set up false altars to other gods but that's what they were doing in israel they literally had uh, in the temple courts and somewhere within the temple they had an altar to baal they had an altar or altars to asherah it gets even worse here in a moment so what does he do he says get all of their worship utensils out of god's house now That doesn't mean a lot to you, but I'm going to tell you, it's more than just taking out some furniture. There was a whole lot of activity and economy associated with the pagan worship and the priests and the prostitutes and all of that stuff that was going on it wasn't just busting up a religious setting it was messing with economy it was messing with people's belief system they were would have been afraid because a lot of the worship they did they did in order to gain favor with Baal who would bring uh, rain and crops and economy and all of that so when Josiah goes in there he's not asking permission he's not apologizing He says to all of those that are underneath him that serve in the temple, he says, go clear everything out of there that is an affront to a holy God. Yeah, Reformation sounds pretty cool on the back end. But it never occurs until men and women with that kind of spirit stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, this is wrong and it can't continue. Now, it's quiet in here, and I understand that, but I'm going to tell you something. Just uh, let your Bible speak to it. Reformation, a large part of it, is dealing with what has been wrong. It, you know, we live in a culture now where, as Christians, we're always supposed to be nice. We're always supposed to be sweet. Want a little extra sugar on it, a little extra syrup on it. It's always got to be cottony, soft. And that's the way that our culture expects us to be. And they would tell us if we're not like that, then we're not representatives, good representatives of the Jesus that they don't even know. Reformation work says, first of all, you've got to identify what is wrong. Then you have to do the second thing, expose what is wrong. It's not enough to say that's wrong. You have to say to people, this is wrong and here's why it's wrong. You have to, you have to expose it. It can't just be, well, don't ask any questions, I'm tearing this stuff down. you got to tell them why it's wrong so they don't go back to it. And then the third thing is that you correct what is wrong. Identify it, expose it, and then correct it. And Josiah is about to go hardcore after all of that. Look down at the end of verse four. He, he shows, he takes some intense steps to prevent repeating the past. He takes all of this stuff out of God's temple, all this pagan stuff. And the Bible says he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron, and he carried those ashes even further out to Bethel. And so, That seems a little radical, is all of that necessary? Well, here's the thing. King Josiah had just gotten a hold of the Bible. And somewhere back in that Torah, he found these words that are in our Bible in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and Deuteronomy chapter 12, that God actually said this was going to happen. He says, when you see their pagan gods, you need to destroy them and you need to burn them with fire. So Josiah, it looks radical to everybody, but Josiah would be able to say, yeah, I I made a covenant that I was all his, all my heart, all my soul, all my obedience, and I meant what I said, and the word says I am to burn all of these utensils, and he did it. I don't know how inwardly you're responding to this. Maybe it doesn't make any sense to you. Maybe you're just like, man, that was then, this is now. I'm going to tell you what I see prophetically. I see almost zero difference between this scene here and the state of affairs in Israel versus what we are seeing now in our country. And I'm not even talking out there in the, you know, among the heathen. You know, I'm, I'm talking about in the church. That the amount of, of of lostness in the church. We folks, listen. Not in this church. Not not an IHOP Atlanta. But, 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 but in churches all over the place, and I'm not saying this is criticism, I'm burdened about this, that they've lost their way. That the things that are happening in churches are not only inconsistent with the word of God, they're against the word of God. And, and it is not enough. It's not enough for us to, to sit at the dinner table and say, well, they ought not do that. Because sitting at the dinner table is not going to change the situation. We've got to identify it. We've got to expose it. And always motivated by love. Always. But we've got to correct the wrongs. And it's, it, I think the epidemic that has hit the church in the last 50 years is the, the epidemic that I call, yes, yeah, somebody ought to do that. Because we all know it's wrong and we're all saying, yeah, man, God ought to raise up somebody to do that. I think he is. And I think some of you are sitting here. And and I believe that when the church galvanizes around the holiness of God and in our love for him, we don't obey him because we're afraid of what might happen if we don't. We obey him because we love him and we trust his wisdom. And so in, in going after him, we see these things are wrong. And so Josiah just made it impossible for the people of his generation to go back and do what they had been doing in the temple he he literally burned those things so desperately with heat that they were able to just pound them into fine dust they took it out to the Kidron Valley and they just spread it out there and then carried the ashes even further to Bethel it, it's radical reformation is change is The reason why it has to be radical is because by the time a reformer is raised up, the place that needs reformation or the people that need reformation have gone so far in the wrong direction, you can't just take baby steps. Do you remember what Jude wrote, the apostle Jude? He said, of some have compassion, making a difference. And then he said, but others snatch them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is soiled by the flesh. In other words, with some, be tender and compassion. There's a time for that. He said, but at other times, it is radical, and it even appears violent. I'm not talking about physical violence, but I'm talking about intensity and urgency. Y'all still with me? Some people are like, this is my first time here, man. Can you please? (laughs) Well, I would love to promise you you'll never hear a message like this again, but come next week, and you'll hear something similar, I'm sure. All right, so verse number five. So, Here's here's another part of it. and Listen, this is the harsh reality of, of, of all Reformation. you got to take drastic, difficult steps. It's not for, for sissies. So look, exposing and removing violators from their positions. It's one thing to carry stuff out of the temple and destroy it. Look what he does with the people that were carrying it out. The Bible says that Josiah deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places of the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, burned incense to the sun, burned incense to the moon, burned incense to the constellations and all the host of heaven. So you had people and it was their job. It was their ministry. Josiah's father was a terribly wicked King and his father was even a more wicked King. And these men, had taken from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe in Israel, and they said, hey, what you've been doing and what your fathers have been doing for the God of Israel, I want you to take that same song and dance. I want you to come with me. Come over here. I know you've never seen one of these before, but this is an altar to Baal. And I want you to do everything that you've been doing for God. I want you to do it for Baal. And that's your job. And that's going to be your son's job and your grandson's job and so on. And they literally took from the priestly tribe and made them priests of the false gods. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind. I don't know if I'm just kind of weird on this or not, but I just, I'm mind blown by this. I'm like, man, these are God's people. How did that happen? Evil leadership, ungodly leadership. I forget the fellow's name, his old timer, he's, he's gone now. Ed, Edmund something, I think he said, the only thing it takes for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. And that's what had happened in Israel. If, when that happened and then evil men came about and they did her- terrible things. But notice this. So it wasn't just Baal, it wasn't just Asherah that we'll talk about in a minute, but it was all of this astrological. They call it new age now. It's not new, man. This stuff's been around forever. All the, they're, they're worshiping the sun. They're worshiping the astrological movements of, of, of all the stellar stuff or celestial stuff. And, and, and then the paganism, the, the host of heaven. So it's just a train wreck. It's just a train wreck. And Josiah is just he's just stepping into this and he's like, oh, we're gonna deal with this. We're gonna deal with it. I, I love the fact that he is seen only in the state of, of focus, intensity, and decisiveness. Can can I just give you something? I believe the best of times that the church has ever seen on this continent are going to be offered to us. I am believing God strongly for a great awakening that will dwarf previous awakenings in the world. I'm believing God for that. I'm believing that we're going to see healings, deliverances, salvations at, an, at a level that we have never seen, that it won't even feel like ministry. It will just come off of us in a naturally supernatural way. I know that the Lord is gonna offer that to us, but I also believe that hell is gonna fight that with every resource it has. So you've got this this collision that is going to be amped up in a greater level, the birth pangs that are coming. And there is going to be the best of God being poured out on the church and the worst of hell being poured out against the church. And let me just say something here. We must have decisive, intense, committed, unapologetic leaders in place to help the church become who she must be. I'm not not saying we need it when that happens. I'm saying we need that right now. We've got to have it before all of that breaks loose. And so every now and then, and I I am so feeling this right now, I I believe there's a reason why God has given this this new merged assembly four pastors. Because not a single one of us is enough to be able to lead this assembly into what God has for it. We're, we're, We're different men, but we all share one thing. We are so serious about the glory of God in our generation. And there are going to be times where your leaders and your pastors, and even those that may not hold a position, but they're, they're influencers in the assembly, they've just got their minds made up about what God wants to do. And so we're going to press into that, but I'm going to tell you something. I want it to be contagious. I don't want it just to be on a church property. I'm talking about wherever we go, we need the spirit of Josiah and his great-grandfather, Hezekiah, who was also a reformer. We need that, and there's nobody in this house that is disqualified for that. If you want that, go after that. God's not up there saying, I don't think so. His eyes are running out to, to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for the one whose heart is perfect for him so he can show himself strong on their behalf. God's not up there holding back, man. There's just not enough candidates down here that want it. So I believe that pulse has got to start getting in the DNA of us. So let's get down to the very last. I'm, I'm just going to go a few more minutes. Famous last words, but I'm going to try my best. Let me slow down. Hold on. Look at Josiah's radical follow-through. All right, I think we're all grown-ups in here, so let me just go there. Pornographic images eradicated. They did not have video. They did not have the internet, they did not have magazines, but they had pornography. It's not a new problem. What am I talking about? The Bible says that Josiah brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. So this isn't overly apparent just in the verses, but if you study the false, the worship of the false god Asherah, Ashtarte. It is a pagan god, and involved in the worship of, of this pagan goddess was all sorts of terrible immorality. I'm going to keep it G-rated here, but you really couldn't worship this goddess well um, and not give your body away to somebody. And so in order to mark the places where this kind of activity took place, it's, it's kind of gross, but I'm just going to trust you with it, they would, they would place these wooden poles that were phallic symbols and they represented uh, male sexuality. And you could go through the land and wherever you saw one of those, you knew what you could do. You could go make an offering to that god or goddess, excuse me, and in doing so, you could satisfy your um, animal urges. And so here's what's crazy. One of those phallic symbols representing male sexuality was in the temple, was in the temple. And beyond that, they dotted the landscape. It was so commonplace that nobody batted an eye before Josiah about having one of those erected in the temple. So Josiah says, get it out of the temple. And later on, you'll find him saying, Anywhere we see them in the land, tear them down, burn them, grind them into dust, and cast them away in front of the eyes of all the people so they will know we are not this kind of people anymore. You see, repentance can be ugly. But, man, I'm going to tell you what follows on the backside because the end of this series on Josiah ends with a party. But they can't get to the party yet. They can't get to the Passover yet. They have to do this thorough cleansing. So verse 7 and 8, not only the pornographic images were eradicated, but the places of sin were destroyed. So it says here, now look, I mean, this is just grievous. He broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord. I'm almost getting mad all over again. I mean, it's just incredible to me. It's the temple, folks. So they've got false altars to pagan gods. They've got pornographic statues. And they've got male prostitutes in the outer courts. This was both heterosexual and homosexual. And their, their little tents are out in the outer court. And all of this horrific sexual activity is going on in God's house. Nobody noticed. Nobody blushed. Nobody was bothered until God raised up Josiah. And so what did he do? He said, get all of those tents and listen, the, the, the word, it says male prostitutes, the word is sodomites. He says, get them out of the temple court. That is how seriously Josiah projected new holiness to a land that had lost their way. It goes on to say there that he went out and defiled the other places in the land. It's funny, even these pagan worship sites had a sense of sanctification in the minds of the worshipers. So Josiah said, oh, you're gonna gonna plant some pagan worship sites? Well, I know how to defile your pagan worship site. And so you're gonna find him going and digging up graves and burning bones and spreading the So all these pagans are saying, what have you done to our worship altar? It's amazing that they were bothered about him defiling their pagan worship sites and never batted an eye at what had happened over a course of time in in God's house. And so very last verse, so about to shout hallelujah here because I'm just about done. And it doesn't end with anything dramatic. It just, this is a good stopping point for tonight. No partiality was shown. This is subtle, but I want you to get this. The Bible says that Josiah broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city. So the governor lived very near in proximity to the city gate, and near his home, which he would have been completely aware of, he's the governor. He is the civic leader of that area. And near him, there were these groves, there were these um, uh high places, these areas where the poles would be raised up and planted, the same things I was talking about earlier. And Joshua says, "I," in, in essence, by his actions, he says, I don't care if it's the governor. We're taking this stuff down. It's an awesome thing when the church, when the spiritual leadership outweighs the civic leadership. When the authority and the anointing on the people of God, represented here by Josiah, is so strong that they're not afraid of the government. They're not afraid of the politicians. They're not afraid of the political parties. They're not afraid of the the vote in November. They just say, in the name of Jesus, it's not about my affiliation. It's not about me wanting to please this politician or align with this politician. I am a servant of the most high God, and I will do by my conscience what he tells me to do. And so Joshua, the governor, looks out his window, and there's Josiah standing out there saying, uh-huh. And so all his people are taking the stuff away. He said, got anything to say, governor? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of expanding that a little bit. That's not, not actually in the Bible, but I just felt a little punkish stirring in me right there. So the, the point being is this, friends. Listen, um, when Reformation happens, and it must happen if we want revival, okay, because we all want revival, right? I mean, we do, man. Nobody likes, no real Christian enjoys dead church, status quo Christianity. I mean, we're not even part of a dead church here, but I'm going to tell you, I wake up and and a lot of people in this assembly and over at IHOP Atlanta, we wake up, and man, if we saw five healings the night before, we're saying, man, God's so great, there should have been 20. Lord, we see the headaches get healed. Lord, we see the, the stiff shoulders get healed, and we thank you for that, God. But, but, but when are the people going to get up out of the wheelchairs? When are the limbs going to grow back? When are the dead going to be raised? Now, brothers and sisters, listen. If we believe our Bibles, we shouldn't say, oh, now, wait a minute. Now, Jeff, you're going a little overboard there. Listen, uh, let's stop talking each other out of believing the book. Let's just start saying that there's no difference between the book of Acts and the 21st century church as far as what is being offered to us. And we want revival, but I'm going to tell you, it's going to come after we walk through the the, the corridor of repentance and reformation. So I do believe it's coming, but don't want to be a buzzkill here, but let me say this. We're not quite ready for it yet. We want it, but God, I believe, is going to elongate this delay because he's going to stretch out of us to where we want that revival and breakthrough more than we want our next breath. And when we get there, even if it's a remnant, I just believe God's going to look on that remnant. He, he did all of this because one man in Israel had a heart toward him. One. And so my hope as your brother, as your friend, as your pastor, one of your pastors, my hope is that that spirit will find your heart and nothing will quench that flame. Let's stand together and let's pray. hmm Father, forbid that talks like this will be pep rallies. Jesus, we need the substance of your lasting, abiding presence and power. I know you are so eager to impart it in its fullness, but we're not ready yet. So God, I'm asking you to move among your people in spirit and in truth that we will tear down our idols, that we will cleanse our temples, that we will not fear man, just like Josiah didn't fear Joshua. But Lord, I am asking that you will not in the end withhold this glorious bursting forth of heaven on earth. I know it's gonna happen. God, I pray that it'll happen in my generation. And Lord, I pray that it'll come through some of the very people listening to this right now. Stir our hearts, don't give us rest. Lord, I pray for those that that are just stirred in their heart because they know they were born for more. Lord, don't let that die down. Don't let the thorns choke it out. Holy Spirit, keep bringing the whirlwind to our soul. Keep stirring us, keep filling us. Keep giving us the deepest longing, lasting hungers and thirst so that we have to do like Jesus did. When the lukewarm hits our mouths, we spit it out because we have a thirst for the genuine and for the on fire. So bless us, Lord, with endurance. Do it now, Jesus. Do it in this day. Do it, Lord. Even as we merge together because we want this, Lord, do this through this no-name assembly right here in Lawrenceville, Georgia, Lord, we say if you will do it through us, we'll position ourselves to be ready for it. Help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.